This is the Sports Psychology Podcast with Michael Seeley for July 11th, Monday, Tour de France Rest Day, a good time to assess the overall tour. And today I'm getting some perspectives from an old friend of mine, Bob Mianski, who is a two-time Olympic cyclist, uh, got fourth place in the Olympic road race in 1988, over 100 career victories, a real fighter, a real smart guy. Uh, taught me a lot about psychology and bike racing. So without further ado, we're going to dive into my interview and perspectives with Bob Mayansky on comparing modern day bike racing to the golden age of cycling, which I like to call it back in the 80s and 90s. And we have some interesting perspectives. Enjoy. So Bob Mayansky, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. Glad we're getting a chance to talk today. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk with you because you have so much experience racing. And, you know, we raced together, I say, back in the day in the uh, 80s and 90s. I wanted to get your, your insights into a couple things today. I want to compare racing from the 80s and 90s to today, just in general, in the context of the Tour de France and modern day bike racing. Well, first of all, Bob, I wanted to ask you, just in general, something that's uh, I've been talking about in my podcast and I've been pretty transparent about is like the difference between racing back in the, the good old days, right? So everyone has their own good old days and I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon here, but um, comparing a couple of things, some of the courses, I would say on stage five, which had the cobblestones, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not sure if that really has a place in, in a stage race just because of the danger and how the GC can be shaken up. And I think the the tour organizers have opted on the side of uh, spectacular kind of courses, more for, for TV and the spectacle, um, and really discounting the, the racer's safety. So I wanted to maybe dive into that, um, particularly stage five, having the cobblestones, you know, going from big wide road to narrow cobbles, and wondering if you think, and just be honest, like, do you think that has a place in the Tour de France? Do you think that's appropriate? It's a tough call. I mean, I never rode the Tour de France, so I can't imagine, you know, I, I don't know exactly how they're looking at it, but I suppose anything that, that could cause the favorites to have some kind of a mishap allows for others to have an opportunity. So uh, it makes it for a more exciting race. And, you know, given that we have such dominant handful of dominant riders, maybe, maybe that's part of their calculus as well. Mm. I mean, it mostly turned out okay in retrospect. What, what did you think about? Well, I, you know, except for uh, Primoz Rodzlik, Rodzlik, he uh, he crashed. Um, uh, there was an incident in the stage five uh, where a motorcycle uh, sort of dislocated a hay bale in the middle of a corner, and uh, Roglic hit it and uh, dislocated his shoulder. So there was, um, you know, some other commentators were, were criticizing. I think Sean Kelly was talking about the amount of motorbikes they have. Um, in the tour these days is, you know, double than it was back way back in the eighties and nineties. So, yeah, I mean, m my opinion is that um, I don't think it has a place in the tour de France. I think that if you're, if you want to race Paris-Roubaix, then you just race that race and there's too many uh, variables in there. Um, there's also um, stage two that went over that, um, that really, really long bridge, you know, is, is famous for having really bad crosswinds. And people were saying that that was stage was selected just for the drama, the crosswinds and the echeloning and, and crashes and stuff like that. 
Um, so obviously you can tell what my opinion is here. <laughs> is, I think well, some of the, the courses need to be redesigned, but uh, what do you think? Well, here a, a couple of things that pop into mind. One is the, the bale of hay yeah. uh, that popped out or whatever. That could I mean, that wasn't really because of the cobbles necessarily. They probably have that in a lot of places uh-huh. rolling through the town. So I don't right. know if you can add on to the cobble course. Right. But, you know, uh, thinking back to the Tour de France, the last 10 years as a, as a viewer, mm-hmm. it, it seemed like someone would get a stranglehold and then there would be a lot of neutral racing. And that's gone out the window, right. I think, to the betterment of the sport and to okay. the spectator. And in addition, they're airing these races from the gun. So yeah. that's a new change. Yeah. And, you know, it's keeping it really exciting. And it also, you know, you, you end up uh, with somebody that seems to be the main dominator without without much of a challenge sometimes mm-hmm. in the last few years. And now with these different courses, that's kind of, okay, let me, let me put it another way. It's, it's been offered that uh, Pogachar could end up with all three jerseys and uh, technically four. Yeah. You know? Right. He, he would be having, if he wins a leader's jersey as the best young rider, he could get the points jersey just because of the way they're, the point competition is laid out on the course. Right. And, right. Uh, and then, and then the King of the Mountains just comes along with winning stage top finishes. So mm-hmm. Robbie McEwen, which is a, is a former sprinter, said, uh, and a commentator on the, on the race in Europe says that, you know, that, that doesn't speak well to the design of the course. So I'm pushing back mm-hmm. a little bit. I like yeah. the idea that bigger riders, riders that can uh, handle the danger right. uh, and the different conditions are in the sport too. Otherwise we right. just get, you know, the sport has become uh, much more climby. Mm-hmm. I saw a graphic, I saw some information that the climbers are getting taller and skinnier. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're talking about kind of in the 1980s, I, I pull up some old video once in a while, uh, and the, you know, everyone rode these massive gears and yep. they had completely different positions. So yep. kind of, they were different body type. Yeah, no, it's, that's interesting. I, I, I get your point for sure is to, to keep the, the race more more interesting to make it so that there's not one dominant uh, rider all the time. Um, I just think that, especially, I think my biggest criticism was, um, was stage five of the cobbles and you're right. Like the hay bale could be anywhere but it was just the idea of, you know, going in and out of these, these narrow sections. And um, one thing I also want to ask you about is race radios. What's your opinion on, on race radios? Keep them or, or get rid of them? I, I like that they get rid of them for some races. It completely yeah. changes races. When you're yeah. for racing, you, you'd have to ask around, is there a break? And how right. much do they have? Now you've got a guy in a, in a car with a computer, literally, right. you, can, you know, dial in the gap. Yep the power that's being put out and spit out a number and he can tell his robots how fast to ride for the next four hours. And we can all watch it on TV. Um, a, a, a good example is, uh, you know, think about your, your riding with your buddies or you're in a race and you're going as hard as you can. And one of your competitors just flies out of the field. Yep. Um, before we could look at power meters, we would think, wow, I, I maybe need to make a move and try to catch up with that person. Now you can look at your power meter and say, well, there isn't a human around that can hold that gap. So I'll just sit back here and bide my time. And, and that makes for negative kind of less exciting racing. So. Yeah. 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 I'm of the mind that uh, the race radio should be just getting ripped got rid of completely. I think they've uh, tried that in a couple of tours, like they had stage experiments where they tried no race radios and 
everyone freaked out. You know, they're just so like addicted to them and used to them. But yeah, in my opinion, I think they should get rid of them, make racing much more of like a, you know, a chess game again and put some X factors in there. Um, have you, have you noticed, uh, you know, occasionally it's become a, a matter of controversy, whether or not the rider in front, there's some drama going on and they'll say, I didn't, I, they'll either rip their earpiece out on, on screen mm-hmm. or they'll just say it wasn't working. And then they'll, you know, they'll, t- they'll pick up tactics or do something or fail to do something that was, you know, uh, contravened what the director was telling them to do. <laughs> I have seen that. Yeah. I, I think that, I think it must be annoying if you have your race director in the back telling you to do stuff and you're not, you know, director's not there. You probably just like, look, I, <laughs> let me like trust, trust my own brain here. Like I'm a smart guy. Like I made it to this level. Like you don't have to be telling me you know, barking orders at me the whole time. And to that, to that point too, I think that, um, you know, I was talking to the, another friend of mine about uh, sort of the correlation between uh, race radios and increase in crashes in the tour. So the uh, pre-race radios, this is, I think they came in what 95 with the Motorola team debuted them in the tour, I think. And just um, what, what's your opinion? you think that um, it's safer without the radios in your ear? Well, I don't have any personal experience with it. I yeah. guess they can, they can alert them to the hazards on the road, but right. the problem, if you, if you spend any time thinking about it is everybody's getting the same information. So right. it reminds me of a story, you know, one of the, the storied American coaches was named Eddie B. He was a Polish sure. guy that came here and ran our program for a long time. And it was, on the national team development team or whatever it was called. And there was like maybe 30 or 40 of us. And we had done a really hard race with lots of pros and European teams. And it was a crosswind and he, and the, the guys hadn't done very well. I think I I did about the best or the, maybe two guys did better than me and we didn't do great. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was yelling at us. He, so he's addressing 40 people and he said, all, all of you should have been in the top 10. Uh-huh. So they have a different math system over there, but, um, <laughs> you know, if, if that guy would have been on the radio, he would have been yelling at all of us at the same time. Um, right. Right. No, I, I, I like the individual. I like the individual, but having said that this, this last couple years of bike racing have been incredibly exciting and mm. it makes you wonder, you know, like watching, uh, Woot Van Aert dominate just, what what it's like for the others to be racing with a guy like that i've heard it said that he's making them look like junior racers (laughs) and when you consider the aerodynamics and how much faster they ride now and the way he's riding away from everybody yeah i don't know it's like i don't know it's like like eddie Merckx could he have done that it's just insane it is pretty crazy how van art is so dominant and just has so much power and and just that really aggressive style of racing of, you know, being in uh, that one stage, he was in like every single breakaway from the gun <laughs> because he wanted to be in a breakaway. He's like, I'm just going to be in every one. Um, yeah. Just that, that dominant style of racing and even him compared to uh, Pogacar. Pogacar is obviously the, the GC man, but uh, Wood Van Aert is hit that style of racing and his, his build and, you know, yeah, the aerodynamics of the bike. He's just, I mean, there's that one stage I, where um, he, he got away in that climb and soloed 10 kilometers in to the finish alone. Remember that one? Yeah. That was, that was phenomenal. I'm watching that. I was like, here's a guy who's basically holding off 
the Peloton. I mean, obviously, Yumbo Visma was, was blocking and breaking things up, but to ride uh, ride ten kilometers in solo in against all those pros, I mean, there's some that guy's that guy's phenomenal. When I watch that, it's like he's just incredibly strong. Yeah, there's there's a handful of them, and and Pogachar, you know, he I, I put him right up at the same level, maybe not toe to toe, but you know, psychologically, they're both. They know that if they make it hurt and they really push themselves, that they're pretty much the only one that's going to be out off the front. And that, that's really tough for the other riders to see that. That's a tough place to be because you're giving it your all and you see that your competitor is just one better than you. So then what do you yeah. do at that point? You know, and, and they're starting to gang up on these guys, which yeah. is that's going to make the tour more exciting moving forward. And by that, I mean, Ineos team will attack and then maybe the Trek team won't help chase, you know, and yeah. then the next day the Trek guys will take off or whoever's in second and third. And they'll mm-hmm. keep putting the pressure on Pogachar and his team to, you know, pull those guys in. And eventually they, they can isolate Pogachar. And once they do that, um, you know, you know, as well as I do when you're out on the flats and you're, you're out, man, that's, that's a yeah. really tough spot to be. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh what do you think about, um, you know, there, there's been some, some people saying that, uh, Jonas Vingegaard can actually win the tour this year, um, based on, you know, his performance in some of the mountain stages, uh, hilly stages so far, um, you know, he's got the, the stronger team, Jumbo Visma compared to Pogacar's Emirates team. Do you think it's possible that uh, Vingegaard could win this year? Or do you think it's um, kind of foregone conclusion that Pogacar is going to win? I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, I can't say, I don't think that, you know, you know how it is, is if you, if you uh, are competing and you reach beyond your limit, well, I guess that's a contradiction of terms, but <laughs> you make a really, really great effort and you yeah. do something spectacular. Everyone expects you to be able to do that from now on. Right. And it's a lot different to, you know, be there day in and day out than it mm-hmm. is to shoot from below and try to jump up. And that's essentially what he's done in the tour last year. And so, yeah. but, you know, the other thing that we have to remember is there's a reason they make this three-week-long race. Yeah. Sean Kelly, you know, King Kelly, as they call him, could win. He won Perry Nice seven times. Oh, um, that's, that's true. That's right. right. Yeah, but he couldn't win a three-week. He yeah. would go two, a couple of days into the third week, and then yeah. he, the body would give out. And if you right. don't know what that feels like as a rider, go ride 100 miles and really push yourself and then do it again and then do it again. And then consider doing that seven, 10 more days. And, yeah. you know, the body gives out, but does the mind. And so that's what we're going to enter into the third week. And that's... No, that's that's a great point. So that is it is the the hardest stage race in the world going on for three weeks. And so a lot could happen tactically, a lot could happen, you know, there could be a, a crash where someone gets caught behind that. There could be just, you know, um some echelons or side winds or flat tire. There's all these things that could happen. But like all of that aside, if if everything goes smoothly for all the all the top favorites, you know, Pogacar, I think, looks like the guy. He's uh, physically tough, mentally tough. He's got a really good attitude. I think um, Vingegaard also. He's what 135 pounds, so he's. I mean, he can he can climb really well. But yeah, to your point, um, it's it's that fatigue of the stage race, day after day after day after day. And Pogacar has proven already a couple times that he doesn't he doesn't crack. So it, we'll see we'll see what happens. It's going to be a good tour. Well, great, Bob. Um, we're going to wrap things up for today, but I wanted to get you know your insights into, into some of these things here. And I think, um, again, it's going to be a great tour. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in today.